Good morning, lovely ladies. Welcome. I'm so happy and excited to see you guys this morning. Um, I'm just feeling super blessed that I get to introduce to you two of my good friends who are going to be speaking today on raising compassionate kids. And when they both told me about this topic, I was like, wow, this is perfect. How relevant, how how awesome it is to be hearing about this. So I'm really looking forward to it. So I got to start out by saying, I told my husband this morning that I'd be introducing Kathleen and Mike Self. And he said, make sure that you introduce them as Mr. and Mrs. Awesome. (laughs) And I said, okay, because it fits. (laughs) But um, anyways, I want to tell you that they have been an amazing, inspiring mentors to me and my husband. Um, We're so blessed to call them friend. We have them in our personal lives, um, part of our game group, part of our um, marriage group. Mike married my husband and I, and um, they have just modeled to both Danny and I what it looks like to, you know, raise a family in today's world with their eyes on Jesus, and as Jesus rooted at the center of their family, and it's just been amazing to see, um, and we know their kids, and their kids are just also awesome, too, but um, Mike is a family pastor here at the church, and Kathleen is in charge of um, children's ministry, and um, I just can't think of two uh, more awesome people to, you know, speak to this topic, and um, I I just know we're going to be richly blessed today. So I'll let them tell you a little bit more about their families, and I'll just bring them up here. You guys have handouts on your seat, too, so yay. Yay. That's a fun introduction. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Deanne. Hey, we're really excited to share. Um, Yeah, I'm the pastor of of men and families here, and Kathleen's the pastor of children's ministry. So our kids, having two pastors in the house, they stood no chance. (laughs) There's always a stereotype about PKs, so when our kids are in therapy, (laughs) 10, 20 years from now, they can blame it all on on us. Um, So yes, we're talking about raising compassionate kids, and um, I cannot think of a more important topic right now. If you look at what's going on in our world, there's definitely a lack of compassion. Our world is so broken, it's really dark. Um, On a global scale, what we see in our own country, we see all these factions and division, this us versus them. So clearly a lack of compassion um, being displayed. But also, this is a very important um, gospel virtue that Jesus modeled so perfectly. And so that's why we want to talk about it as well. If you think about, you know, it was the, the, the Lord showed great compassion for us. That's why he sent his son to die. And Jesus's act of compassion towards us was was willingly dying on the cross. So that's why we were talking about compassion, what it means for us, the great model that we have in Jesus. And of course, you know, compassion is something that you can, you can grow in, you can learn in, and it starts in your homes. Um, I did not grow up with a particularly compassionate family. I'll talk about that in a second. Kathleen had a much better model, I think, in, in her home. Now, I'm just very thankful for my mom. She, she has a huge heart, and she... I think just modeled compassion well. And, you know, my parents separated when I was pretty young, so she was really busy, four kids. I mean, she had a lot on her plate, but she still made time for other people constantly, and she was always lifting other people up. Um, You know, we had people over for dinner a lot at our house. People were spending the night on weekends as they passed through. She was lending out her car. She was just generous with her money. Um, She really 
used to see and still sees, I think, her possessions as gifts from God that are meant to be shared. So I'm just, I'm thankful I got to grow up in that environment. And for me, actually, my parents, they were very image-based. Like, we had to look good all the time, and it was a very competitive environment where you were expected to uh, you know, excel in your sports or with your grades or whatever it was. It, life was a competition. Um, there was a lot of love in my family, which was great, but outside of my family, like, we never made time for other people. Um, compassion was not on the radar. If anything, it almost felt like a weakness to show excessive compassion outside of the family. So I did not grow up with that at all. Um, and I would say Kathleen is definitely more compassionate than I am, but I have grown, I've gotten better, right? Yeah, definitely better. Because <laughs> I, I, you know, I remember taking like the spiritual inventory test and compassion was always at the bottom for me. But I think having a life now of just walking with the, with the Lord and the spirit moving in my life, I think I've grown in that ability um, to be more compassionate. I think God has opened my heart more. Um, and your kids, I mean, obviously some of them are gonna be more compassionate than others, but what's beautiful is you can always grow in that, and that's what we'll be talking about. So if there's a scale from one to 10, and if your son is a four, well maybe he can move up to be a, a seven, you know? And if you have someone in your family that's already like, do you see that compassion in them naturally? With the Holy Spirit involved in their lives, it could be even more so. So there's hope for, for all of us. And so tonight, I'm sorry, this morning, we're gonna be sharing some stories about our families. We thought we might be show you a picture of our kids to so see you know who we're talking about. Maddie and Mason. Yeah, I, we have a daughter that's, um, she's 21, she's a junior at Baylor, and um, it's kind of fun right now, she's doing her semester abroad, so she's, she's over in the Netherlands right now studying, and then our son is 18, he's a freshman at Whitworth um, University in Spokane, and having a great year, so we're in a very new stage for us, we're, we're the first year of empty nesting, and um, we're actually loving it. I think partly because our kids are doing well and they are happy where they are and love college life. I think if they weren't, it would be sort of stressful to be an empty nester, but we're super thankful that they are in a good, good place. Um, but we want to give a disclaimer right here at the beginning. We're not perfect parents. Our kids are not perfectly compassionate. We are not the standard here. But we, we do feel like we tried to be intentional um, just in focusing on compassion as we raised our kids. Um, so we just want to pass on just practical ways that we tried to do this as our kids were growing up. But, but we're definitely not perfect in this. So it's probably obvious to say that. But. <laughs> we feel better having said it though. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's start with a definition of compassion. If you sat down where there was a handout, um, you'll see this on that handout. And compassion is the response to suffering of others that motivates a desire to help. Um, biblical words, sometimes translated as compassion, also bear just a broader meaning, such as to act kindly, to show pity, to love, and to show mercy. So basically, compassion um, is love in action. There has to be action associated with the compassion. It's not just feeling sorry for someone. It's not like, oh, my heart just breaks for them. Um, your heart going out to someone, like it, it has to lead to action. Um, and I remember, this is years ago, I was watching the news and there was a, um, they were interviewing a soldier who was uh, in a Humvee accident, um, horribly, horribly burned. And they were talking about how hard life was and his wife was there. And then in that moment, I'm like, okay, my heart is breaking for this soldier and his wife. I'm like, well, that, that's not compassion. You know, my heart was moved towards him. I... I cried, I started tearing up just as I heard his story and what it means for him and his wife. And what they were doing is they were promoting a, uh, a nonprofit. This is before GoFundMe, but they were doing a fundraising campaign for him. 
And so I, I just felt myself getting up, tears in my eyes, going to get my checkbook, writing a check to make a donation. That was the act of compassion. It wasn't the tears, it wasn't feeling bad for him. It was the actual action that took, um, it was the love that led to, to the compassion of the act. Um, the Bible is filled with verses on compassion. There's four that we just wanted to highlight real fast. Um, the first one is Luke 10, 33 and 34. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he saw the man that had been beaten and bloodied and bruised. He's on the side of the road. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So there's that, that action. He didn't just see like, oh gosh, it's so horrible that something happened to this guy. He was compassionate and it led him to bounding up his wounds you know, and, and taking care of him from that point on. Um, when the priest didn't do it, the Levi didn't do it, but this man did. And another example is Luke 15, 20. This is the, the, par- the parable of the prodigal son. Um, and as he rose, this is the son, and came to his father. Um, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Okay, and it doesn't end there though, because the very next thing is, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. So it wasn't just, hey, there's my son, and that great he's coming home. The compassion led him to action to embrace his son. Um, the next one is 1 Peter 3.8, which says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. And I like this verse just because it, it has those action verbs, right? Live, be, like our lives should be filled with acts of compassion. And then Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So as believers, you know, our lives should be filled with evidence of lifting other people up, encouraging people, putting people before ourselves. So, you know, it's one thing, I think, to, to give a definition of compassion, um, to talk about the key verses about compassion, but we want today to get really practical, and we want to talk about how do we do this? Like, what does this look like? So we've, tr- we've come up with six um, just ways that will hopefully help you have some ideas of how to raise compassionate kids. So if, again, if you're looking at the handout, if you flip over, there's a spot for you to, to write down if you'd like. Um, I realize some of you are holding toddlers, so that would not be easy to write. But if you want to, that's available. All right, so number one, number one is you must model compassion day to day, all right? So I hate to break it to you, you cannot have compassionate kids without you showing compassion. Um, it'd be great if it worked that way, just expect it of, you, of, of your kids, but you have to model it. It's day in, it's day out. It's not that one time that you served at the soup kitchen, kitchen on Thanksgiving Day, all right? It's not that one mission trip that you went on. It's a lifestyle, it's a culture that you cultivate in your home. Um, you know, your kids need to see you do it, and it's something that's just natural. You know, if you're doing it and your kids pick up on it, then they'll naturally um, some more than others will follow in your footsteps with that. Um, so it's practicing everywhere you go. It's just a mindset that you have, um, you know, to how you spend your time and who you're spending it with and how you're treating them. Um, I had a huge pastor fail in this area uh, not too long ago. I call it my blueberry ex- explosion fail. Mm-hmm. I was at Target and I was in a hurry and I walked into the, in the front of the store and there was a woman on her hands and knees with just thousands of blueberries scattered around. I mean, she must have had, I don't know how big the crate of blueberries was that she had, but they were everywhere. And in that moment, I mean, I knew what I needed to do. I knew I needed to get down on my hands and knees and help this woman, but I did not. 
All right, I was in a hurry, I was in a rush, I had to get in, I had to get out, and I look back on that now with just some shame because I should have taken that time. It would have loved her well in that moment. She clearly could have used the help, um, but I did not, I did not um, intercede in that. So here's a quote that I love that kind of speaks to what we're talking about. In every encounter, we either give life or we drain it. There is no neutral exchange, and that's from Brendan Manning. So as you think about that, you know, um, there's kind of four practical applications of this, but it's like, it's how you treat the person, you know, at the checkout stand, you know, as they're, as they're checking out. Those people get beat up all day long. You know, it's how you treat um, your, your waiter or your waitress at uh, Red Robin, just having a mindset of compassion towards them and how you carry yourself and building people up. That does not take a lot of work, but just to take yourself out of the equation long enough to think, how can I make this moment about the other person. Um, I think that's super, super important. And just ask, am I, am I giving life to people or am I draining life from them? And I remember this is years ago, um, gosh, I was really young, um, elementary age. I was at a Baskin Robbins with my grandfather and we were waiting in line to go to get our ice cream. And the woman behind the, the counter was crying. Someone had said something to her really rude, I don't remember what it was, but she was a teenager, she was crying. And I remember my granddad saying to me, we are not leaving until I make this woman smile. And he treated her with great compassion, he was witty, he was charming, and she smiled. Um, it was really cool. And I mean, that happened, I was so young. I mean, we're talking, that was like over 40 years ago, but I remember that moment uh, clearly. And I wanna be that kind of person with the people I interact with. So another way we can model compassion is just the way we spend our money, right? I mean, we, Mike and I, we tried to have a, um, giving account, like that's just separate from all of our other accounts. And so we, we just put money into it, um, of course, just from our income, but then as extra money comes in, you know, those things like Mike does some extra coaching on the side and we'll always be adding to our giving account. And then, you know, after tithing to the church, we'll have some extra and it's fun as a family just to talk about like, where do we want to give this month that's extra? And maybe it's a, someone supporting supporting someone that's going on a mission trip or maybe a ministry that you've recently heard about that you would love to be a part of um, or even just a friend in need. So that was something we would talk about with our kids of, of just having this separate giving account. And then the way we would do it with our kids when they were little is we would give them three jars or containers and label them savings, spending, giving. And so they would just be used to putting their allowance into this different category so they knew that giving was always a part of that. Um, and then... One cool thing that my, grand, or my mom did, our kid's grandmother did, was at Christmas time, she would give them, of course, you know, a gift, but she, she was not one to kind of go overboard on the gift thing, but she would give them also money, and she would say, you get to decide where to give this away. Um, and so, I, I mean, I have just images of our kids growing up at our kitchen counter going through, you know, the magazines of like, should we give a chicken? Should we give a goat? Should we give to the water well? Like it was this massive decision every Christmas, but it was just cool that that was what they would get excited about. And so I love that my mom started that. She yeah. still does that. She still, still do I know, it. we still yeah. do it. <laughs> um, the third thing on this topic too is just being for the people that God puts in your path, like being a cheerleader for them, um, especially your kids, your kids' friends, um, the platforms that you have. I mean, I think most people... They don't, they're not encouraged. Most people do not go through the day feeling encouraged. And so we can act compassionately and just be a cheerleader for those people. Uh, we have a really good friend named Charlotte and she is masterful at this. We call it the Charlotte treatment. 
Um, so you spend time with her, you feel like you are the funniest, the strongest, the smartest person ever to live. I mean, you feel yourself just getting built up, and it's just her way. She takes such an interest in us, she asks great questions, and it's never about her. I, I can just tell, like, she is building me up right now, all right? So that's the, the Charlotte treatment. I think we all should be uh, involved in that. And then another way just of modeling, of course, this is going to seem very obvious, but just being compassionate to your kids. You know, I think um, it's something I think that comes pretty naturally to moms, but I still think it's important just to be intentional. Um, and I was thinking of an example for this one. Um, Maddie, was, she was in middle school, and you guys know middle school can be brutal. And she's coming out, and I could tell this was not a good day. You know, she gets in the car, and I just know. And she was talking about something happening that weekend that she was not included in. And she just was so down. And I knew in that moment, all right, we're changing gears. I am not going to focus on what I had planned, the things on my to-do list. And I'm just going to spend time with my daughter. And so it was like, all right, we're going for yogurt, all the toppings you want. And we just talked over yogurt, you know, of like, we're not always going to be included in things. And that's really hard. But really the, the response to this is, is to be an inclusive person. And, um, and so we talked about that night, like who is someone you could reach out to to invite over tonight um, and maybe from someone from church, not from school. And so it just turned into this cool thing of like her inviting a, a girl over from church that she didn't know that well, but it ended up being a really fun weekend and they became better friends. So, but I think it took me saying, my daughter needs some love right now and I need to change gears on what I had planned tonight. Um, so that was just an example of that. Okay, number two. So that was number one. Number two, this one is practice compassion as a family. This is just looking for activities, opportunities to do as a family. And it, you don't, we don't have to make a huge deal of it. Like, this is the day of compassion, right? It's just something you kind of live out day to day looking for opportunities. Um, one of the things we did, well, this wasn't just a day to day. This is a little bit bigger, I guess. But um, uh, we sponsored children through African New Life that live in Rwanda. And so Kathleen and I got to go one time. The next time I went, I brought my daughter Maddie when she was in middle school, and that was really significant for her. We were able to go as a whole family, and it was not cheap. Um, you know, we could have gone to Disney, Disneyland, or we could go to Rwanda. And I think going to Rwanda paid off, you know, a lot, a lot more. Um, and I think the day-to-day -day part of this, though, is, you know, if you sponsor kids, I think every family should be doing something similar to this. You know, when you sponsor through uh, Compassion or through um, African New Life, you know, you get a picture of the kid. I mean, they're on a refrigerator. You get to write email, or write, you can't do emails now, but you can write letters back and forth. You're learning about another culture, what they're going through, and, if, you know, just kind of puts in perspective our lives and their lives. Um, but for our kids to have an interest you know, in someone outside of their norm, I think is really special and really cool. Another easy one, I think, is just making meals um, and including your kids in that. You know, people, you'll see the meal trains come through your email box, and it's easy to say, oh, I don't have time for that. But I have just tried to get in the habit of always saying, if I get a meal train, I'm going to do it. And you just find a date that works for you, and you double whatever you're making that night. Um, but include your kids on it. You know, help let them have a role in making it, packing it up. Take them with you as you deliver it. You pray for the family or the couple that you're delivering to. They bring it in. Like, it's just this easy, natural way to say this is a practical way to love on people. So I love doing that. Um, another one I thought of was, and this is probably for your kids that are a little bit older, but hotel ministry, I, I've recently tried to 
become a member of the team of delivering the canned goods. And um, this Christmas, I just said, I'm going to do it with my daughter. And so we went down together with Tanya Ross, who coordinates that, and we got to deliver door-to-door the cans. And it's just a cool thing. Like, you, you get to speak to these people. You get to pray for them. You get their prayer request. Um, and, I mean, it took an hour and a half you know, on a Saturday, and, you know, Maddie and I, she'll mention, like, I wonder how that man's doing. Have you heard? How did his surgery go? Like, it made an impression on her. Yeah. Um, All right, so that's number two. Number three is preach inclusion to your kids. So the opposite of inclusion is exclusion. And I think all of us know what it feels like to be excluded in something. It is so painful. Um, No one wants to be excluded, but you know, you see that among kids all the time. Kids can be so brutal with that. Like, no, you do not get to play with us. So our kids from a very young age have heard us like, nope, we're going to be inclusive. We would tell them that means there's no barriers to entry. Anybody can play, right? We want to welcome everybody in. Um, And we just don't see that enough. I think people get really tribal and they're not open to allowing other people into their circle. And I think that's a real tragedy. Um, I was a youth pastor for many, many years, and the first youth pastor role that I had it was in Dallas, Texas, and the youth group that I inherited was incredibly dysfunctional. It had tons of, of cliques, and it was really divided, and it was really awful. Um, you never want to see that anywhere, but especially in a church setting, you don't want to have that so much division and cliques. So we worked really, really hard to be inclusive. You know, it's not just not the cool kids can come here. Everyone is welcome. Well, it's interesting what turned it into, like, I would describe it like we became the island of misfit toys. Um, we had everybody, it was crazy who was attracted to that, but they felt loved and they felt welcome. And I just think that's really, really important, you know, creating a welcoming environment, no turf wars, no us versus them. Anyone can participate. And I think one easy way to do this as moms is just birthday parties, right? Weekend plans. Like, I, we, I was always like, look, we're not going to have the party for two people. You know, we're like, let's include as many people as we can. Let's make everyone feel involved. Um, and even this came up recently with grad parties. I remember Mason was making his grad party list. And, um, and he's like, oh, I'm not really friends with this, with this guy anymore. I don't think I'm going to put him on. And I was like always err on the side of, and he like filled in the blank because we talk about so much. He's like, inclusion. And it's like, they just, our kids have no, we've always talked about, look, if you're deciding whether to invite someone or not, you invite them. Like you just include people. It can, you can never go wrong on making someone feel included. Um, so our kids got tired of us talking about <laughs> it so much, but it was, that was a big one. Oh, and lunch table. That was another thing we constantly would ask our kids at night, like, who did you sit with at lunch today? You know, and if it's always the same people, it's like, have you thought about inviting someone in? Are you seeing anyone that's sitting by themselves? Like, that's an easy one to kind of encourage them on, including other people. And one thing that's hard, too, is I know your kids are really young right now, but as they get onto social media, like, that is the world of exclusion. I mean, our Maddie, our daughter, she got really hurt. Like, she wasn't invited to a birthday party, but there she is on Instagram. You can see all the girls that were at that birthday party. That's devastating. Um, and, uh, you know, all the statistics, the statistics are out there how devastating social media is to girls in particular. Um, that's one of the reasons why the depression among teenage girls is so high, because it's all that comparison game, and I'm not included, I'm not included. So even cautioning our kids on Instagram what they're choosing to post and how they do that so they're not alienating um, anyone in that. All right, this is number four, share stories of compassion. I think this is such a fun one. This is just looking 
or being on the lookout for maybe news stories, stories you see on social media, or just your own stories, but talking about ways that you've seen compassion being lived out, you know, and you talk about this in the car, at the dinner table, um, but it's fun just to celebrate cool stories that you hear about. And here's a story from our family, and our kids will ask me to tell this story, and they lived it. They still want to hear me tell it. This is years and years ago, when kids were both really, really little. We were living in Texas. It was summer, super, super hot day, so what do you do on a summer day in Texas? You go to the pool, and I, had just, I was in a bad place. I mean, there's a season of just being in this funk where I was, there was no joy in my life. Um, I was really frustrated with a lot of things that were going on or things that weren't going well. And I was like, well, here's my day off. I'm going to take my kids to the pool. This is going to be great. So we go show up at our little neighborhood pool, and the, the, the gate's locked. And I'm like, what in the world? And I see the lifeguard, and she comes over and says, oh, I'm sorry. The, the pool's closed today. There's going to be a swim meet. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was not kind. <laughs> um, I was, like, so defeated in this moment. All I wanted to do was go play with my kids at the pool um, so I said something not positive, not encouraging to her. Um, she had every reason to turn her back on me and just walk away. Instead, she looks at me and says, you know what? You're not going to be hurting anything. Why, just come on in while we're getting ready to set up for the swim meet. And then in that moment, that changed everything for me. I had just been an ass. <laughs> and she showed me incredible compassion. And so that changed my heart. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you sure? Are you gonna get in trouble? Is that okay? And she's like, no, by all means, come on in. So we're in the pool, we're playing, and there's this giant slide that this pool has, and Maddie's like, hey, Dad, can we do the slide? And I'm like, Maddie, we should not even be in here, but this is great. I hear the lifeguard from the other side of the pool go, hey, you guys wanna do the slide? I don't mind turning that on for you. So you know, water is pouring down the slide. So we're going, and we're doing the slide, and we're up on the top of that platform. And meanwhile, I see other cars pulling up with parents and their kids, and that lifeguard did not let anybody else in. I could see parents in the parking lot pointing at us at the top of the slide, and I don't know what she told them, and then my kids are, woohoo, you know, we had the, the whole pool to ourselves. That moment changed everything for me. I had been in this hard place. There's a season of just this funk. Her compassion towards me woke me up to so many beautiful things. I mean, it changed the whole trajectory of the rest of that summer. I don't know that lifeguard. I went back to thank her. I never saw her again. I hope she didn't get fired. I went back to thank her, and I wanted her to know the, the huge impact that she had on me. I never saw her again, all right? But I will never forget that. My kids want to hear that story because it was so profound for me. And then, of course, stories, we need to be focusing on compassion stories from the Bible, right? Like, these are the stories that we want to tell our kids, read to our kids. We want our kids just to know these stories inside and out. It's the Good Samaritan. It's the woman at the well. It's Jesus healing the lepers. Um, Zacchaeus. You know, it's times when, when Jesus will just reach out and lift out the person that's normally unnoticed or unloved. Um, and there's, I mean, it's filled, but I love telling those stories over and over again um, to my kids, especially when they were growing up, just because you want those to kind of be ingrained. Like, this is the model. This is why these stories are here. And also, I'm always on the lookout for a good video to show our kids when they're little growing up. Um, I'm going to share two, two of our favorites, but, like, these are so profound, and I love what's, what's modeled by these kids. Our person of the week, sitting in the crowd of thousands at the Arizona Diamondbacks game, a 12-year-old boy watching the game, 
about to do something that would catch not only their eyes in the announcer's booth, but ours too. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. It was the fourth inning. A player tosses a ball into the stands. Two little boys wanted it, but only Ian McMillan would get it. Oh, look at that young Brewers fan. Now, wait a minute. He is. Did he get? No. Oh, he boy. Is sour. He is sour. The Diamondback fan got it. The announcer's watching Brewer with their fan. own play-by-play. Oh, he's bumped Are you out. kidding me? This kid's going to do this? Oh, yeah. yeah. That is big time. Oh, my right goodness. There. What a nice young man. Well, he's got a diamondback tender, but we have to get something for that kid. Got, that right. I can't something. believe I just witnessed that. That is that just, awesome. You that, young men are a young star. are awesome. <laughs> the game would go on, Ian having given up his prized catch. But then a phone call. It seemed someone had seen his kindness on TV. He's being told right now that he's being praised on TV. Yeah, he's big league. Late today, we met Ian, too. I thought it was the right thing to do. Like, I saw the kid. He was really sad, so I decided just to give the ball back. And my mom and my dad, like, taught, like, taught me that way, so it's kind of just, like, natural. Ian didn't leave that game empty-handed. Moments after giving that ball away, the announcers had a special gift for the fan. A baseball bat signed by his favorite player. Often autographed bat and a contract. For the generous Ian and his buddies. The box was really, really cool. I was like really surprised and like I did not see that coming. He's got good home training. That's a, yeah, that's, that's a very well-bred young man. If you do good things, good things will happen to you. Reminding us all that often what you give. Nice going, young man. Delivers far more in return than even a little boy could imagine. And so we choose Ian McMillan with a lesson for us all. And we learned late today that after talking to us, he was off to throw out the first pitch at tonight's Diamondbacks game. Go get him, Ian. All right, so the first time I, I teared up <laughs> the first time I saw that, because I would never have done that in a million years. If I was his, if I was Ian, I would not have done that. So I love that. Like, that, just, that speaks to my heart, and it encourages me. Like, why, I can be compassionate. I can do that. All right, here's one more. And I know you guys get tired of me. It's little things. Coach Peter Morales of the Coronado High School Thunderbirds in El Paso, Texas, makes no qualms about it. He has a favorite on this team. Mitchell, I need you. I need you to help me out with my coaching tips, Mitchell. Team manager Mitchell Marcus has a developmental disability. One, two, three, four. And he far surpasses everyone here when it comes to love of the game. He's just an amazing person that our basketball team loves being around. Yay! Mitchell's mom, Amy, says he's always been that way. Mitchell always had a basketball. That was always what he wanted for his birthday. And because basketball is that important to him, on the last game of the regular season, the coach told Mitchell to suit up. What was it like to put on the uniform? I was very happy. I bet you were. Just wearing a jersey was enough for Mitchell. But what he didn't know, what no one knew at the time, was that the coach planned to play him. At the end, no matter what the score. You were prepared to lose that game. For his moment, yes. For his moment in time, yes. And so, with a minute and a half left, Coronado leading, but only by 10, Coach Morales put in his manager. And just started hearing Mitchell, Mitchell. But here's where the fairy tale fell apart. Although his teammates did everything they could to get Mitchell a basket, each time they passed him the ball, he either missed the shot, or like on their last possession, booted it out of bounds, turning the ball over to the other team with just seconds left. He wasn't going to be able to score, but I was hoping that he was happy that he was just put in the game. 
Could you have ever imagined what happened next? No, I did. I could not. Not at all. What happened next happened on the inbound. The guy with the ball there is a senior at Franklin High School. Number 22, Jonathan Montanez. Uh, I just, I was raised to treat others how you want to be treated. Just thought Mitchell deserved his chance, deserved his opportunity. I think I'll cry about it for the rest of my life. What Jonathan did was yell out Mitchell's name, then threw the ball right to it, right there. One of the most memorable turnovers of all time. It wasn't the game-winning shot. When the buzzer sounded, Coronado had 15 more points than Franklin. But Jonathan's assist and Mitchell's basket did change the outcome decidedly. Play any game with this much sportsmanship. Both teams win. Steve Hartman on the road in El Paso, Texas. Okay, I'm crying right now. <laughs> I've seen this video a million times. It gets me every time. Are anyone else shedding a tear? Oh my gosh. But did you notice one of the things that both parents or both young men said? They were raised that way. They were both raised that way. And clearly it, it paid off. I just love that. All right, now this leads us to number five. And this is just pray. Pray for soft hearts. And, and it's not just praying for our kids. I think we pray for our own hearts to be soft. And then we pray for our kids' hearts to be soft. And that's the idea is just, Lord, like... <clears throat> Help us to, to see your prompting. Help the Spirit to, to open our eyes to opportunities just to, to lift other people up, to encourage people. Um, and I think sometimes our kids, they, they have these feelings of sadness, like they feel sorry for someone, but they don't really know what to do with those feelings. So I think praying that, that they'll see something that will touch their heart, but then they'll be, they'll be prompted to actually take action and to do something. Um, so I think prayer is a huge part of this because really none of us, I think, in our human nature are compa really genuinely compassionate. I think it's really, it's the spirit work in our hearts. So we just praying that over our children constantly. Um, and I was a part of a moms in prayer group when my kids were little. And this is something that we would pray for a lot um, was just let our kids be lights in their school. Let them be kind. Let them see opportunities and reach out. So I think it's a it might be an obvious one, but praying for this is, I think, is a, is a huge thing. Um, and then number six is celebrate when you see compassion in your kids. Like, you want to celebrate it. You want to point it out. You know, we celebrate the things that don't really matter. We celebrate the soccer victories, the lacrosse goals, the PR, the swim meet. I mean, all those things are great and fun, but not life-changing. Um, and so making sure we're not just focusing on those, like the, 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 the straight A's, but like, no, no, that's celebrating the compassion when you see it. That's what really matters. And, um, and then you go to cheer them on, you know? And I think when you kind of get that momentum, that open it does open your eyes to the reality around you so you can keep going and serving in that kind of way. At one time, um, Mason was in second grade, and um, we would typically just go to the, the play, school playground after school. And so I was, t you know, around, and the teacher came and found me and said, I've got to tell you the story about Mason today. I, I asked him to go run an errand to the school office for me, and I said, you can choose a friend to go with you. And she expected him to choose. He kind of had these two buddies that he always hung out with. And he chose this kind of newer kid, and she was just surprised by that. So she asked Mason later on, like, why did you choose him to go? And, um, and he said, well, you know, he just seemed a little sad, like he needed something fun today. And, um, and the teacher's like, it was just 
really touched the teacher and told me. So, I mean, man, Mike and I celebrated that. We were like, Mason, that was an amazing thing to do. And he kept saying, this is not a big deal. And I said, but Mason, it was a big deal to that boy um, because the teacher said that it, you could tell it meant a lot to him. And so we talked about it at dinner. We told his sister about it. You know, it's like those are the moments we want to say, this is what really matters. It's not, you know, it's we want you to do well in school. We want you to do your best in sports or music or theater or whatever your kids are into. But what we really want to celebrate is, is the things of the heart, you know, and those are the things we want to really talk about a lot. So, so yeah, definitely celebrate it when you see it in your kids, but also when you see it in other people's kids. I mean, just saying something to them like, hey, wow, I saw what you just did. That was amazing. Way to go. Love your heart in that. You know, that would build up a kid. Um, but not even just sharing with that kid, but also sharing what you saw to that kid's parents, if you can. We all love to hear nice things said about our kids because we remember the fight we just had, you know, before our kids went off to school. So then when you hear, it's like, wait, like, Maddie did what? You know, it kind of reinstills some faith in your kids. So share those stories um, with the parents if you ever have the opportunity. Um, so I'm a swim coach. Um, in addition to working here, I coach at Lake Ridge High School for five years. I coach at Stafford Hills. And it is a wonderful platform to encourage and notice great things in kids and just uh, praise them for them. And I'm not even talking about their swimming ability, but just the, the, the sportsmanship, you know, the leadership, the service that goes on. Like, those are the things I want to promote. There's a kid named Alex. I've coached him for the last six years. He's a senior at Western High School now. He's, he's going to graduate. Um, he's somewhere on the spectrum. Um, and when I first met him, it was, it was really hard to coach, really difficult to work with. And I know his parents fully recognized that. But I remember one time in particular, pulling him out of the pool because I was helping him with his stroke and I was demonstrating what I wanted him to do. He looked at me and said, I don't think you know what it means to be a good coach. And then he got back in the pool. And I was just dumbfounded. I should have asked him what, what did it look like. I missed an opportunity. Um, but I saw him grow and mature, and he, and he used to be, the other swimmers are so annoyed by him, constantly. So I was always coaching them to give him grace, but he, as he has matured over the last six years, he has turned into this incredible leader, this amazing cheerleader for other kids. It is so profound to see the change in him. So I love being able to tell those stories to his parents who have had you know, challenges with him through the years. You know, and the mom especially, just to know what, what he has accomplished. But she wouldn't have seen it. But as a coach, I got to see it. I got to pass it on. And also what's kind of cool, so he's a Boy Scout. He became an eagle at his eagle ceremony. He invited me to come, and he wanted me to speak at his eagle ceremony. And that was an opportunity to share what I saw in him, not just with his parents, but with his entire Boy Scout troop. So look for opportunities to build up other people, for sure. Um, okay, so those are our six things um, that we think will help, and I'm sure there's more, but those are the six things that we kind of focused on. We must been, we're going to go through this pretty quickly, but there are five barriers to compassion, um, and I know there's more than that even that, but there's five that we just want to highlight that we should talk about. Number one is really obvious. Um, we are selfish by nature. We are depraved. We are sinners. You know, it, it does not come naturally for a lot of us um, to just have an eye, eyes open for, for others, have a heart for others, and to take action on that. Um, I always say I, I never realized how selfish I was until I got married, and then I really didn't learn how selfish I was until we started having kids. So those are big eye-openers. Um, so I think we are working against our, our flesh, just our natural inclinations, um, if we're wanting to be compassionate. Um, the next one I think is 
true for, for us women. It's, it's busyness. It's not having margin. It's, it's having schedules that are so packed that we just, we don't have the space to be spontaneous and to, to be maybe compassionate. Um, you know, it's just being in a hurry. And there's, I was thinking about Mike's blueberry story. I mean, there's just been times when I've just, my day has been so full and I just, ha- I, I blow right by an opportunity to actually extend kindness or compassion to someone because I just, I don't have room for it. So I, I do think that constantly as moms, we need to be thinking, is there too much on my plate um, that I just don't even have space in my life for other people? Um, and if that's the case, it's like, what can I take off? How can I make room for this in my life? And I think the third thing is, I mean, I think we have the wrong goals for our kids so often. I mean, this is what was true for me growing up. I mean, it was all about winning, being the best, excelling in your sport, you know, bringing home really good grades. There wasn't room for compassion. Um, and I think we have we've made winning an idol in our country. I mean, just go to a first grade soccer game and you will see that being played out. Um, and there's poor sportsmanship, but no one seems to care as long as my son's team wins. Um, so I think we promote the wrong things, unfortunately. And it only gets worse as they get older. I mean, if they're not a good teammate when they're seven, they're probably not going to be a good teammate, you know, when they're 15 on their high school team. Um, I think we as parents have to really navigate, make sure we're promoting the things that really matter and not put win at all costs, you know, at the forefront of our kids' minds. Um, but that's what our culture does. Um, I saw this hanging at a sports facility, and I thought this was fantastic. Your child's success or lack of success in sports does not indicate what kind of parent you are, but having an athlete that is coachable, respectful, a great teammate, mentally tough, resilient, and tries their best is a a direct reflection of your parenting. Um, And we we lose that. It's so easy to lose that, Um, again, because we have elevated winning um, above what really matters. So... Um, another barrier is just being distracted by the things that don't matter. I mean, I think we live in the age of distraction, right? We just were, were pulled in so many dis- directions that sometimes we just miss opportunities to be compassionate because we just don't see. We just don't recognize them as an opportunity. Um, and one thing I think that is this massive distraction that's, again, obvious, but it's just... is our screens, right? We, I think we, we're hard on teenagers about this. Like, you're always on your phone. But you guys, we're always on our phones. <laughs> I think we're, you know, it's, it's Instagram, it's Netflix, it's texting. It's just, it's this the natural thing. If you have a free moment to pull out your phone. Um, and there's this picture that Mike and I often like to think about is you can fill in the blank there for whatever internet thing is for you, whether it's, you know, Instagram or whatever social media thing that you focus on. But I mean, sometimes I think it just, we just drop down into this hole and we're missing out on what we're actually wanting to accomplish. Um, because we're just, again, focusing on the things that don't really matter. Um, because it's an easy escape, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fifth barrier, um, I think this is really important. Compassion is often viewed as weakness, especially in boys. Um, you know, I, 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 as a men's pastor, I spent a lot of time with men, and not too long ago, I asked a group, like, guys, what are, what are like, some masculine characteristics that you, you think about? What, what spells manliness to you? And it's things like, you know, it's being tough, it's being resilient, it's being gritty, it's being strong, you know? And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. What about compassion? You know, what about the fruit of the Spirit? You know, there's some very non-masculine-sounding words that are in the fruit of the Spirit. Um, you know, the love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, 
You know, those are, people don't typically think of those as masculine virtues. Um, goodness, self, uh, yeah, kindness, goodness, and gentleness are the three that I was thinking. We don't put that at the top of the masculine list, but Jesus clearly modeled all those things. Was Jesus gritty, courageous, strong? Absolutely. But he also, he was humble and compassionate, loving, so kind, so gentle. Um, I love how approachable Jesus was. Anyone, talk about inclusive, it is Jesus. So living out what Jesus lived for us, I mean, there's nothing soft about that. There's nothing wimpy about that. But if you're talking to some junior high, high school age boys, compassion might seem too soft. It might not seem manly enough. Um, But I think it takes real courage to show compassion. Um, You know, if you're standing up to a bully um, in defense of a friend, that takes, that takes courage. That is a compassionate act. And sometimes you make the mistake that there has to be a lot of emotion wound up into the, into the compassionate act. It also can just be something very, very practical. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember several years ago, I was just with a group of friends lamenting about this day that I was having where I was going through um, a drive through and I had my window down. And um, it's pouring down rain. I try to do the electronic window back up, and it just went thunk. It just fell, um, and I couldn't get it. Rain's pouring. I'm trying to go home. Rain is pouring, and I was I could pull it up, and I was trying to hold it, and I was trying to shift. I was driving <laughs> with my knees, you know. I'm sharing this story with a group of friends, and then one of the guys who didn't say anything at that came up after everyone else walked away, and was like, "Mike, I can help you with that," um, and he was my doctor. Um, he didn't say, hey, I'll pay for it. He said, hey, I can help you with that. He said, come by my house tomorrow. So I did. And we took off the door panel. We figured out what was broken. He's not a mechanic, but he's, we figured out what was broken. We went to the auto parts store. He insisted on paying for the broken part. We come back. We reinstall it. Um, that was an incredible act of compassion. I didn't have the money to fix that part. I mean, my solution was I'm just going to duct tape it up. Um, you know, we didn't hug after that. No one was crying in that moment, but it was an incredible act of compassion. And what I love about it, again, he was my doctor. Um, you know, he wasn't a mechanic. He had other things going on. He's a very, very busy man, but he made the time for me. And I, I just, I love that. that. That really spoke a lot to me. And I am always real quick. I just point people to Jesus all the time, um, especially as I'm talking to men, wanting them to understand both sides of Jesus. I, mean, I wrote a book about this. Like, there's the lion side of Jesus. He is the, the, the lion of Judah, all right? And that's where I think of him as in his strength, his boldness, his, his courage. But also, Jesus is the lamb worthy to be slain, all right? That's where you get the gentleness, the kindness, the approachability, his humility. He is both, and where men blow it so often, they're one way or the other. They're either infuriatingly passive, that is weak, that is poor masculinity, that's too much lamb, or they go the other extreme and they're too much lion, and that's toxic masculinity. So it is the infusion of lion and lamb attributes is what I think makes a, a man a good man. And that's clearly who Jesus is. And Jesus was clearly, clearly compassionate. So, and... I have one more video I want to show you, and this is some awesome lion lamb love that these men are displaying. Yes, this one's the worst, you guys, for crying. (laughs) This is a commercial.
That makes me want to drink a Guinness. <laughs> oh, I was like, oh my gosh. I just, that just blew me away. That was, such, that was men being very compassionate to their friend. I didn't know where this commercial was going. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah, that got me too. Um, and the line in that, the choices we make reveal the true nature of our character. I know they're selling beer, but that is such a great line. The choices we make reveal the true nature of our character. All right, so I think compassionate acts speaks to us. I'm talking, I'm thinking about men in particular. You know, I think that's, they, they need that. Um, and I think it, it's, it's huge. I think it's contagious. I think women typically are more likely to be compassionate. Men can be, um, and we need it. So anyway, those are the six ways to raise compassionate kids. Those are the five barriers. Um, hopefully that will encourage you, equip you, challenge you in some way. Um, Kevin, I'm going to pray for us. Yeah, I'd love and to. And then we'll, we'll, um, we can take, if there's any questions, we could do that. And I know you guys have your small group. And there's some, um, some uh, small group discussion questions we have for you as well. Pray. All right, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to share with these awesome women. Um, and Lord, I do pray that we would just be filled with your compassion, that our eyes would be open to opportunities to, to love and encourage others. I pray that we will model it well for our kids. I pray that we can point them to, to live a life full of service and compassion. Um, so I just pray for everyone's children in this room right now. I pray, Lord, that they um, will first of all know you, they will have a relationship with you, um, Lord, and that your spirit will stir in their hearts um, to be a light for you and to be compassionate. And Lord, we know that to much who has been given, much is expected. And Lord, we have been given so, so much. So help our response to be one of just gratitude and, and compassion to others, um, lifting others up and looking for ways to encourage them. So, Lord, I just, I, again, thank you for this, for this day, and I pray your bless, special blessing on every woman in this room, and it's in your name that I pray. Amen.